Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. Happy New Year. Uh, It's great to actually be able to do this episode right at about the time that you're going to hear it. So I wanted to spend a little time with my best friend, Eric Ellison, who we have spent over two decades talking about what we'd love to see happen in education, what we see good that's happening in education. So I thought I would tap into Eric, who sees so many schools and interacts with so many leaders all over the world, to talk about some of the things that we've really enjoyed seeing in 2023, and then look ahead to what we're excited about in 2024. So I hope you enjoy this conversation uh, with my friends. You probably won't enjoy it as much as I do, just because these are the things that give me life and keep me going and get me excited about the work that we get to do uh, here at Baylor and the work that we get to see being done all over the world and hopefully contribute just a little bit too. So enjoy this conversation with Eric Ellison. So Eric, I don't usually give the person visiting my podcast studio the rights to ask the first question, but because it's you and nobody can tell you what to do anyway, we'll just let you start with the question. Go for it. I I appreciate that. And a beautiful studio it is. (laughs) So my first question, John, is as we look backward at this year is what brought you joy in 2023? Yes, yeah, so part of it was with you. We got to travel around the world and see schools and classrooms all over the world. We were doing like professional tourism. So we got to go in classrooms and see kids who were doing amazing things in different parts of England. We got to see it in Canada and the US. Uh, I got to go to Australia and Tasmania and saw amazing educators doing incredible things that we don't ever hear anything about because those kinds of things that are making incremental improvements year over year over year, those compound to great things. There was a book I've just finished called The Same as Ever, and we ignore all these good small things like the fact that we've improved heart disease care by 1.5% every year for the last 50 years. You don't see headlines about that. Well, there's all kinds of things like that in education that are Every day, teachers are making a difference in the lives of students. Administrators are making the lives difference in the lives of teachers. And so, we got to go see that. And then I'm writing that up. And so, I say I have the best job in the world. It's probably because I get to work with fun people like you. But it's also because we get to just go see the good stuff that's happening and then highlight that. So, that brought me a lot of joy. Yeah, it is pretty amazing to step out into the broader world for, you know, especially for me, where my world got shrunk down a little bit this year after a little after some of those visits, but yet it, it got blown up because I got to do some networks with five five uh, leaders from five countries in South Asia. I got to do networks and, and currently doing leadership networks in Africa and Latin America, and it broadened my world to see how similar the challenges are despite the cultural differences and then and then the resource differences, but to see the challenges, but then to see the brilliance of the professionals 
that are doing great work. Like that was a joy for me. Well, and you get to forward me some of the emails that came from some of that work in Southeast Asia, people that are going through my book with you, facilitating it. And the things, the insights they have and the work they're doing was amazing. And so, yeah, it, it's been a huge blessing to see that. And the fact that we get to do the work together has been amazing. Oh, one other thing I was going to say is I got to bring my family along to some of this. So sometimes I just brought a daughter. Sometimes I was able to bring my whole family and they didn't get to go into all the schools with me, but there's something joyful about being able to, you know, work-life balance has never been achieved by anyone that I've ever met. But if you can integrate work and life in ways that are life-giving, that's good. So, I get to ask the second question. Oh, well, you want to add something? I, go ahead. But I will highlight, we did, like, uh, we did get to speak at Windsor Castle. Oh, that's true. The day the king was there. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then we also got to visit uh, Rancho del Cielo, where Reagan's home, and almost about a month apart. That's and true, and yeah. the amazing yeah. difference yeah. that that we saw in leadership and different people in different places, but just the specialness of where we've been invited yeah. into. Yeah, no, and politics aside on all this, whether you think the royals are ridiculous or amazing or you're Republican or Democrat, they were amazing. And we were in a room that was built in the early 1400s and the, the host of the room tells us that they think that Shakespeare and Queen Elizabeth were in that room for the first performance of the Merry Wives of Windsor and I just, my head just kind of exploded but that what I've said to multiple people after that event was, you know, nobody's going to be talking about what we were talking about 600 years from now. That's not going to happen but if that work made educators work a little bit better in the lives of students, that matters for eternity because that echoes in in eternity. But then I have to say the Reagan Ranch, again, it doesn't matter what your political persuasion is. You have to get a special a visit to go there. It's not open to the public, but to see the the man who helped bring down the Cold War and the Cold War and the Berlin Wall and did these amazing things in the 80s, sleeping in a bed next to his wife, two twin beds zip tied together uh, in this very rustic 1600 square foot house. It was mind blowing compared to Windsor Castle or compared to anything else. I don't think my wife would have been okay with the sleeping arrangements the Reagans had. So uh, yeah, no, it's good. And so, and I do have to say you are largely responsible for all, all those visits. So I should say thank you officially as well. You're welcome. Yeah, that's, that's right. I need to say that more frequently to you. Uh, the second thing is, uh, what's the school visit you had that was the most insightful or your favorite school visit that you had this year? You, you know, it's interesting because everybody who knows me knows that probably my favorite place to go to on my travels back home to the Midwest in Chicagoland is uh, Augustine Prep on the south side of Milwaukee. And I've written about them. I talk about them all the time. But I'll, I'll let them hang out there for okay. this one because okay. we got a couple <laughs> master's students. What, what I've found really joyful this year is is uh, a school that's in my hometown of San Jose, where I get to work, is um, and they're part of our improvement community process. And it's an elementary school that's doing just great work. and And just it, the the beauty of what they're doing on a daily basis and their desire for it to be more beautiful, to be more wholesome, to be more, I, I think in a in a community like ours in San Jose, um, it, it is that place where the drive is so hard and the expectations are so high that for these people to really sit down in their improvement community and really delve into 
We're doing great work. We're getting great outcomes. But how can it be for us as the educators more life-giving? And and that's really where I've enjoyed those monthly meetings with them and being on their campus. And then the blessing is I get to bring lunch to a fifth grader and have lunch with the principal, the fifth grade class, and then this fifth grader who's the son of, of one of my good buddies out there. I love that. And so my example goes back to a couple fifth graders, but these were the fifth graders in England. We got to go through a friend of our school and that's uh that, that t- toured us through he had left the school for another position but he took us back to visit and we got a a couple of uh british schoolboys that led us around and just listening to them talk was a was a blessing but what i loved about it was the the work they were doing and the, their excitement to show us what they were doing was so real and it was all very low tech they were they were putting together workbooks that they had made. They were showing their writing progress from the beginning of the year. And then the little innovations that they come up with, it didn't cost very much. Like they needed a door handle for this door. And so they just used a to- toilet paper holder as the door handle. And then they needed a school library. They needed space for that. And so they had gotten an old fuselage from an airplane and they had turned that into their library. It was outside on the front lawn and there were steps up to it. And then my favorite thing, because you know, we're in Texas and we don't get a lot of rain, but in England, it rains all the time. And so, instead of being trapped indoors, they had their boots on pegs outside the door. And they were, I think the day that we were there, it was raining. They're outside in the mud, whatever. And they take those boots off. They put them on those pegs outside the door. And then they go in and none of the mud gets in the school, but those kids are outside enjoying creation, a lush, green, wet creation. Uh, Cause I think we were over there in February. So yeah, yeah it's a, it was a, it was, it was a beautiful place. It was beautiful to see uh, fifth graders joyfully doing this work in a way that they were enjoying hard work. And that was that was super exciting. And, and it wasn't just like hard, rigorous work. It was creative, right. meaningful work for them. Yes, it wasn't compliant. Sometimes grit in the U.S. and some of our no excuses schools has turned into compliance. And that's what hard work is. It's like, no, it's that passion that leads to the perseverance that gets them to do things that they didn't think they could do. So I was convicted by that. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the fifth graders had a fairly significant story about his own, you know, educational progression. And that was the beautiful part of like listening to him talk about what they were doing in the school and show us around and show us the classmates and, and the, you know, and the, and the work that they're doing. But then for him to even at fifth grade reflect on his own story and how it fit. Right, right, right. No, that was powerful. Okay, so the book's been I, I would call big hit. I love I, I, I love to to talk up the book number one <laughs> okay. seller for Corwin. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, it being a bestseller for a education publisher is 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 a blessing. I'll just leave it there, but it is not the deepest pool (laughs) so so well congratulations congratulations and and one of the joys that i've had in the networks is going through the leadership and learning networks using the book to think about how we do our work and how um we can we can create these a profession but uh, classrooms and in our work um in a life-giving way and so my question for you is What's something from the Just Teaching book you're more convinced is important in schools after writing the book? 
Yeah, well, and I'm really grateful for Corwin writing this book. And this is the third book I've written through Corwin. And it ha- it is my favorite book because it's animated by so many stories from so many amazing classrooms. And it it narrows it down. It decomplexifies things to feedback, engagement, and well-being. And it's hard to separate out which of those is most important. But the thing that I've been convinced of as I've watched classrooms and I'm working on the next book is that engagement piece. Because you can't be engaged if you're not well and real engagement leads to good feedback. And they're all this virtuous cycle. But one of the things that's been resonating for some people in the last few weeks has been the idea of what do we celebrate? So, you know, Bowman and Deal talk a lot about the symbolic frame and that what we celebrate is what we value. And so I've always found it really hard to believe when I go in classrooms and I see some kind of countdown to a holiday. And so I've started off some of my talks like, yeah, we should celebrate taking days off, right? That's great because it's really life giving and we can be excited about the holidays. And the time. Well, like, no, we do not celebrate days off because if you take Bowman and Deal's frame, that means we're celebrating the time we're not with kids. And I don't care whether you think it's cheesy, naive, whatever. Every student that I work with, whether they're graduates, adults, they're in their 60s or they're five-year-olds that I'm working with, if I was working with them at church or wherever, every minute I'm with them is a sacred appointment and a blessing that matters. And we need to celebrate that time with students. And I don't care if you're an adult or you're six years old, you want to be with other people that celebrate being with you. So we need to celebrate the days we are together. We need to do countdowns for when we get to be back together. They should believe that in that moment, there is no place else you would rather be. And so I, and I don't think it's something we should act like either. Because I don't think it helps to put on a facade that we just act like we like it. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves that God has put us there for that time and that reason and to really enjoy having fun doing hard things with those kids who you have this privilege to serve. So I guess I would say engagement and like, make sure you focus on what you celebrate, celebrate that deep engagement and celebrate other people. You do that well, I feel like, but yeah, what about you? What's what, what have you come away more convinced about? I I think it is the engagement as well. And I think, I think like we see this, like the well being is where a lot of people are focused. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of times when, you know, where people get stuck sometimes is the well-being is, especially in schools, whether it be administrators trying to fix something for teachers or provide something for teachers that's just a temporary provision. Um, and then and then teachers doing the same to students and, and you know, and likewise. And so, it re- it's more of a wellness approach than a well-being approach because I think the engagement really gets us to the heart of, like, a lot of our work design and how we do our work and how we do it together that then leads us to true and authentic work um, that is the life-giving work. And I think a lot of, a lot of, I'm more and more convinced about that focus on engagement too, because you've talked about the changing, like, you know, since COVID or, you know, is, is the expectations of we provide and we provide and we provide and we provide but those aren't really, really the deep provisions that allow us to engage in our work, engage with students, engage with other colleagues and faculty members to do really good things. 
Yeah. And, and I think one of the things I've appreciated about you and the way you talk about leading through friendship and in this engagement, you engage others and that's where the joy is. And I think what we really need to celebrate, it's not just time together, but we need to celebrate the other in, in the room. And those are those students. And that's what engagement is. And I think instead of telling teachers, we're going to give you coffee on Fridays or jeans day, or we're going to bring a meal, we're going to put a sign in your arm. Those are all nice things, but those are band-aids to me. What we need to celebrate is the way we see kids doing things differently and better because of the work of educators. And that's what feeds our well-being because that's why we're in the classroom in the first place. And so that's the deeper calling. And so where we celebrate engagement, we get more engagement and we want to become more engaged. It's not these band-aid solutions of like, you know, and, and to your point that, that I keep going back to and was impressed upon me again in the, the um, same as ever book is as our expectations go up, that just increases the opportunity for disappointment. And then it also leads to comparison. And so when we're in bad organizations, we look over at somebody else and we think it's a bad organization. We're like, oh, it's not like that. And uh, he makes the point, he uses a bit more colorful language, all, all um, rated G it, but he's like, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence because it's covered in and there's a two two initials BS or just covered in fertilizer is another way to think about it. We just don't know how much isn't working over there. So let's be engaged in the work that the Lord's put in front of us and celebrate the good things that are happening. And that's the key. Go back to the celebration of people's work is similar, but it's different. And so how do we celebrate the good work that they're doing and, and celebrate? I think it's the thing that, you've brought up in a lot of your speeches today and this, this past year or this past fall is the turtle boil thing, mm. which I know you've yep. talked about on here in the past, but then, you know, you've talked about at events is like, how do we help um, cultivate, you know, that, that profession of celebration and of support and of encouragement rather than what you've written about is the crab bucket effect. Well, yeah. And so that is so interesting that you brought that up. I didn't know you were going to mention the turtle boil, but that came because I was at the National Association of Professional Development Schools and I gave a keynote there and a science teacher came up to me afterwards because I'd mentioned the crab bucket and just quick, if you haven't been listening to every episode of this or you haven't been part of the center crab bucket culture got is a phrase that got coined by dan duke who's a sociologist who looked at a school and said hey it's a crab bucket culture whenever anybody gets elevated other people drag them back down so crabs can get out of the bucket but other crabs will drag them back down and that happens all the time in schools somebody gets recognized for being great other people are like well that's just because they get those kids or they get those extra resources or the principal likes that person more and so it's this defensive dragging back down and so she came up and said no we need turtle boils and that doesn't sound very good that's why we have to clarify what it is but when sea turtles lay their eggs on the beach they dig a hole lay their eggs and then the strongest turtles get out of the eggs first then help the other ones that are a little bit weaker get out of their shells and then they use their flippers to push them up and out they're the complete opposite of the crab bucket and we need more of that we need to be those flippers for other people we need to help them where they're struggling and then push them up and out so that's good well my my question for you is as we look ahead to the next book that we're we're working on What's an idea that we really need to be thinking through and emphasize as we do this work moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just gonna double down on the idea of in the research and the work of collective leadership and the work that you've done that we do the work together. It, you know, it, in that we do the work, policymakers, whether that be you know state policymakers, whether that be 
you know, nonprofits or organizations, but whether that be school boards, administrators, teachers, um, as well as even, you know, just other, you know, other places where this work is, I'm just more and more convinced that if, if we don't, you know, if we're doing it to people, we're not going to solve the big, deep-rooted issues. Mm. And we're not going to create a profession and a work that is fulfilling and life-giving. We're just going to keep kind of circling our wheels and try to, and you talk about technical, you know, challenges versus adaptive challenges. We're just going to keep spinning our wheels and 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 take, you know, and create policies or we'll, you know, get a new school board or we'll, you know, we'll get a new leader or we'll just change all the teachers in our school. And, and it's like, yeah, no, that's not how the good work and the life-giving work and student, you know, the, the student growth and outcomes, that's not where that's going to come from. And that's what I'm more and more convinced of. Yes. Well, it's interesting when I was thinking about this question and what we need to do next is the next book. So the first book was just teaching and it looked at feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. It's very micro. It's the, you know, don't miss the trees for the forest, you know, but I think the question is, how do we scale it? And I think your answer gets at that. So how do we build communities that are thriving learning communities where we're doing this and then scaling it up? Because flourishing people lead flourishing communities. And it's really hard to lead a flourishing community if you aren't yourself. And I'm increasingly convinced that trying to do this by yourself is completely impossible. And I think there's a real moment for collective leadership to become catalytic leadership. So that book will come out. That one is coming out in 2024, whether that's written, (laughs) I just have to get the final edits back. I'm excited because that's a compilation of a bunch of different authors. So it's literally a collective work about catalytic leadership. And I think it has its moment right now, especially in 2024, when we're already really polarized. And then in the US, we're headed into an election year that I don't see any way we don't become more polarized. I pray that that's not the case. But I think those of us that want to do this work together with a coalition of the willing and coalition of the fun, (laughs) like who wants to do this that wants to have some fun? Let's do that. And then that will stand out because it's different than what I think a lot of the world is putting forward is what leadership should look like. Is it, maybe that's the, the subtitle, Coalition of the Fun. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like that. We'll file that away. All right. So, so as we look ahead, right, and you mentioned the book, you know, for 2024, you mentioned some of these things that are coming in 2024, like an election here in the United States, but other things. But in, in our work, in our profession – What's your hope for 2024? You know, all these tools that are coming out and the the fear or excitement or both about artificial intelligence and all these tools. I My hope is that in this year, we will become more human in our work. Because I think as the world becomes more automated and things can do things for us, our value as human beings is going to be being human. AI is consensus. It's collecting a lot of data, but it's consensus. It's not wisdom. And so I hope that we become more human. So in that regard, we're going to become more gracious. We're going to become more challenging of each other to push each other and exhort each other to more. We're going to become more loving, you know, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love that we're going to do that. And that as we do that, we'll have fun. 
Because I think part of being human, being human is hard. <laughs> There's a lot of pain and suffering. And <laughs> I'm talking to you. You know, you know this better than anyone. You've been through more pain and suffering than almost anyone I know. But you also have more fun than almost anyone I know because you know how ephemeral life is. So let's have fun as we do this work with other humans. And we use tools, not people. Love people, use, use things. That's uh, Arthur Brooks. And then worship the divine. That's a pretty good way to live. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I would just, I mean, I go back to your coalition of the fun, right? A coalition of fun. It's find the friends. They're there. I think we get the blessing of, you know, I get the blessing of connecting with hundreds of people, you know, on a monthly basis through our virtual networks. But um, I also get to visit schools that they're there. If you need to get connected and you feel alone, walk the halls, find, you know, the person in your school um, that that can be that friend and that work and that encourager, the turtle boils. But that's my hope is that people in that humanist, people will get reconnected and find that, you know, we, you know, you mentioned we've been talking about this for 20 some years. In some ways, find that friend in the work, mm-hmm. find the the person who can spur you on and encourage you through the difficulty, somebody who you can celebrate with, but then a little bit of the co-conspirator yep. where you can imagine a more, you know, a, a better way forward um, and a more joyful way forward. Yeah. No, I think that's true. And not just somebody who's just going to be rah, rah, cheer you on. Somebody that's going to challenge you. There's all kinds of times you'll be like, Hey, <laughs> you're like, I don't know about that. Are you sure about that? And, and those are, and, and sometimes you say it a lot more bluntly than that. And that's good. I mean, because that's part of the fun. And then well, yeah, we could do a whole podcast <laughs> and all the, the stupid stuff I've said. And you're like, yeah, I'm not quite sure about that one. And, and you know, 99% of the time, you're right. You just say it super bluntly uh, before I've had a chance to think it through and had any nuance. Well, we have to end with a lightning round uh, because we always do that. And it's one of my favorite things. So, uh, and I'll answer the questions too this time. So, favorite book of this past year? I know that's tough. I know you've been on a, a reading oh. challenge with Chris Hobbs. So, I anybody know. who knows Chris Hobbs, that guy, man, he's a <laughs> reading beast. Um, <laughs> right. So, my favorite book this year, there's plenty of favorites. So, if you need others, but I've been trying to read books about other people's stories and people that wouldn't be maybe uh, top of mind for me. And so, this one was The Heart of Everything That Is. The Untold Story of Red Cloud and American Legend. Huh. It was amazing. Okay. All right. I think I need to pick that up. Similarly, although this is nonfiction, um, although yours may have been nonfiction as well if it was biography, mm-hmm. but so this is David Brooks's How to Know a Person. And I just found it unbelievably challenging about how conversation is so critical to knowing someone. And I, it's been running through my head over and over again. I've had a few of those books this, this year that have been kind of that mind screw. They just kind of burrow in and dig in. And that one's been, that one's been mine. All right. What is the most ridiculous thing you've seen in education this year? Well, I think, I think you put me onto it and I didn't really notice it until you started harping on it (laughs) at some of your, some of your talks and speeches. It's the smartphones in class. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and how much in my visits to schools, they're being not used for educational purposes, yeah. but for babysitting yeah. or for just keeping distract, students distracted from you know, the real work. Well, and the teachers themselves 
are distracted. I'm hearing from more and more people that the big challenge on this is getting educators to stay off their phones when they're teaching and not fub their kids, which is phone snubbing for those of you that haven't heard that one yet. But And I can't really take credit for that. Jonathan Haidt, I've been railing against this for a while, but his June 6th article in The Atlantic was a seminal moment. And I have seen a groundswell of people kind of coming to their senses. Like, this is it. Well, so I I think that is the most ridiculous thing. So I'm going to second that, but I'm going to add mine. Another thing, this is more in the profession. Uh, People thinking the best way to build our profession is by deprofessionalizing it. I'll just leave it at that. But we got to do better. But I think that's probably a podcast all of its own. Oh yeah. That how, be. how we could actually make it more professionalized and build yeah. it up. Yeah. No, that's good. Good. All right. What's the most exciting thing uh, that uh, you see looking ahead? Okay. So you mentioned it already and it would seem odd that I find the most ridiculous thing to be smartphones. But the thing I get super excited about is actually the AI for teachers. Mm. Um, And not for students right now. I'm not excited about that yet. But the AI, and I've been using it. I've been using it in some of my networks. We've been trying it with some of the teachers. So I'm actually excited about the AI stuff. All right. So I I don't disagree with that. I think there's huge potential. I don't think we should be scared of these things. I think we should be testing these things. But I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. Even with all the tools, I'm most excited that I see people returning the fact that humans matter the most. And relationships matter. And one of the things I've appreciated about COVID is how much more I've appreciated being at church, being at school, being with people, because for the first time in my life, I was isolated. Now, you've been through stuff where you've had to be isolated from people for periods of time. I'd never been through that. And that was devastating for me relationally. So, I still am appreciating that. I just want to keep leaning into that. Last question. What's your best piece of advice for 2024 for anyone listening? I think it's it's some stuff we've already talked about is have fun doing the work. Mm. Yeah. So similar, and we didn't talk about this beforehand, but my, my point is work with people who are fun. If they're not fun, <laughs> find ways to find more fun people to work with. Uh, that's one of the blessings of being at Baylor. We've been able to build a team over the last few years. And our team is fun. Like we don't always... We don't always do the right things. We don't always do things as well as we can, but we have fun. And if we're not having fun, life's way too short. So just enjoy having fun with the people you can find. And obviously, sometimes you don't have control over everything, but try to find the fun things about people who aren't even fun most of the time. (laughs) But find the fun things that you can. So with that really pithy piece of wisdom, we will wrap this up. Any last words for us, Eric? Oh, come find us on the road. That's right. And join us in the fun. That's right. No, it'd be great. All right. Thanks, Eric. Well, I think that was one of my all-time favorite podcast episodes. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I love the opportunity to just talk about leading with friends who are fun by talking to the most fun friend I have in education. So I hope you enjoyed that. Go find someone fun who loves education too. And talk about how ridiculous or good some of our ideas were in the profession that makes all of this possible. Have a great week and a great new year. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership.